was a sophomore in college, I was having some car troubles and I took it to a mechanic and they told me what was going on and uh, how much it would cost to, to fix it. And I was like, uh, all right, well, I'm going to hope and pray for the best, uh, but uh, there's no way I'm going to be able to, to afford this. And uh, so, yeah, I got to take the keys back and, and go. And you know, it was getting kind of to the point where maybe it was a little bit dangerous uh, for, for me to drive. I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do as a broke college kid working as a server at Cracker Barrel. Uh, which, if I can just say, if I wasn't in ministry, I would love to be a server at Cracker Barrel again. I, that job was fantastic. It was so good. So, but I, it was, you know, my part-time hours was barely paying the bills for college, let alone adding on to, you know, with, with car repair. And so I, one night I was working and I was coming to the end of my shift, rolling some silverware, looking forward to going home, probably thinking about, you know, some kind of paper that I had to write when I got there. And the, and the hostess came back and she's like, hey, Sean, you got a, you got a table. And I said, hey, can you, can you please give that to someone else? Because I, I, I need to get out of here. And she's like, well, he actually requested your section. And I'm like, okay, well, let's see what this is. And so I, I, I walk out there and as I'm walking to the table, there's a guy sitting there holding a newspaper up in front of his face. And, and so that one made me very interested, but two also scared me just a little bit. Like, is, is he hiding from me and like going to jump out and attack or what is going on? And when I get to the table, uh, he puts the paper down and it was my dad. Uh, he had driven uh, about four hours to come to Lincoln, Illinois, uh, to help me fix my car. And of course, by help, I mean to pay to get my car <laughs> fixed. <laughs> uh, oftentimes, my, my dad uh, just tunes in and joins us for worship at the 930 service. And so if I can just have a moment, um, dad, thank you. Uh, that really meant a lot. And uh, just thanks for giving me that hand up when I really needed it. Yeah, thank you. And I imagine that most of us can probably think back to a time when a parent or maybe someone who was influential in our life gave us that hand up in a moment when we really, really needed it. When we looked and we're like, I have no idea what I'm going to do or how I'm going to get over this hump. And like at just the right time, they stepped in to help. Or we can probably think of times when we wish that we had parents that had done that or parents that could have done something like that. And, and I think most of the times parents want to see their kids have a more successful, a better life than what they had. And so oftentimes parents will come alongside to, to help their children as they are navigating into those adult years. Most parents do that in a very healthy way. But then there are some that make um, Forbes write articles like, like this. Parents, please don't attend your adult child's job interview with them. <laughs> like, it was an actual title of an article a couple of years ago. They, they talked to HR directors across the country, and uh, look, look at what they, they found. 40% uh, of these HR directors had dealt with parents obtaining info on a child's behalf. 31% uh, had received resumes submitted by parents. 26% uh, say that parents tried to convince them to hire their child. 15% heard complaints uh, from parents when their child did not get the job that they had interviewed for. 9% had tried to negotiate their child's salary. And then 4% had actually seen parents attend the interview with their child. The, the article summed it up like this. Imagine a mother sitting next to her son in an interview and saying, you know, my son is a real self-starter, a real go-getter. <laughs> Now, again, to be fair, now listen, listen, to be fair, I believe that these parents have their children's best interests 
at heart. They, they want to give them that hand up. Most parents, again, want their children to have a life that's better than them, to, to be more successful than they were, to, to maybe get that bump that they didn't receive as they were getting started. And so they're just trying to help. And I think at the end of the day, these parents would just say that they are wanting to help their children live the good life. And there's actually a mom in scripture uh, that would probably say the same thing about her two boys and how she was trying to help. Uh, But like those parents in the Forbes article, she may have gone just a little bit too far to help her boys land the job. If you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, turn with me to Mark chapter 10 this morning. Mark chapter 10. We're going to be starting in verse 35. When you, when you get there, if you're opening up the physical or even a digital copy, if you have like a reference Bible, uh, you, you may notice that there are some references just below the, the topic heading. And so in my Bible, this section is called uh, the request of James and John. And, and if you're a student of scripture, or you desire to be, sometimes you see these things, you're like, I'm not really sure what that means. Why is that there? Well, in the gospels, whenever you see that underneath Uh, one of the title headings, it means that this account is told in another gospel too. So you can kind of turn over there and you can cross-reference it and see. And I think it's kind of neat that, you know, different gospel writers write from their own perspective. And so you may read the same account in a, in a little bit different way. They, they pull out a detail or highlight something that maybe the other gospel writer didn't. And, and so I look here and I see Matthew chapter 20, uh, verse 20 through 28. And And there's a detail, (laughs) there's a detail that Matthew puts in his gospel, in his version of this account, that Mark leaves out. This is what he says in verse 20. says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. Now this is just me using a little bit of creative license here, maybe a little bit of holy imagination, but I like to think that this is Matthew taking a little cheap shot at his friend saying, hey, you guys remember that time when your mom tried to get you that promotion with Jesus? I'm going to go ahead and put that in the best-selling book of all time so that everyone knows that that happened. And, and I also imagine uh, uh, James and John reading that for the first time going, why did Matt have to include that? And it just shows you cannot trust people named Matt. Uh, just <laughs> so, so it goes on, though, and, and this is how James kind of sets and tell, or that, uh, that Mark tells the rest of, of this story. You have James and John and their mom making this request. And, and I think that what they are after really is the good life. They're trying to find the good life. So let's look at it together. Mark 10, 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Whew. I mean, that's a pretty audacious thing to say right up front. But Jesus, gracious as as always, says, what do you want for me to do for you? And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. And so James and John are trying to secure 
for themselves, their, their kind of position, their place in the kingdom of God, other than the throne, the, the, the two most powerful seats in any kingdom were the person who sat to the right and the person who sat to the left of the, the king. They were the most powerful, influential seats in any kingdom. And Jesus and his disciples are making their way to Jerusalem. They've been to Jerusalem a few times before, but, but there's just something about this trip that feels different from any of the previous ones. They, they feel like something is about to happen. Jesus and some of his teaching and some of his tone is starting to get a little bit more serious. And, and so as, as they're going up, they're starting to have these visions of Jesus throwing down the gauntlet on Rome and all of their enemies. They, they probably re remember Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. It says, truly, I tell you, these are Jesus' words. Truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me, James, John, the other rest of the 12, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And so here are the disciples, particularly James and John, thinking to themselves, this is it. It is about ready to go down. It is about ready to, to happen. Jesus is about to take the throne. And so James and John embrace their inner Hamilton and they're like, we're not throwing away our shot. And so they're like, we gotta do this. And so they go to Jesus and like, they had the audacity and the boldness to say, give us whatever we want. Like that's how much they wanted this position. They say, Jesus, we want to be in your inner circle. We want to be in the room where it happens. Okay, no more Hamilton references. And this is what Jesus says. You don't know what you are asking. You don't know what you're asking. This isn't the first time that, that the disciples have kind of jockeyed for position in the kingdom. And just turn one chapter back to, to Mark chapter 9. Jesus and his disciples are, are on a journey, and Jesus is ahead. The disciples are in the back, and they're kind of talking about something. And uh, Mark even describes it as, as an argument broke out amongst them. And when they get to where they were going, Jesus is like, hey, what were you guys talking about back there? And they're like, oh, oh you, don't, nah, you don't want to know. No, it's not, it's not a big deal. And, but Jesus knows what they were talking about. They were arguing about which one of them was the greatest. And, and this is right on the heels of Jesus saying, not just the first time, but the second time, that he was making his way up to Jerusalem to suffer and to die. And the disciples are like, okay, 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 but Jesus, here's what we really want to know. Which one of us do you like the most? <laughs> which one of us is your favorite? And so when James and John say that they want these two positions of closest proximity to him, Jesus is like, you guys don't know what you are asking. You haven't connected these dots yet. And at this point, James and John, they are so power hungry, they are blinded by their ambition that in verse 39, when Jesus says, are you able to do this? They say, we, we can we can. Look again at verse 38. 
After Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking, he, he then goes on and he says, can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? In the Old Testament, the cup was, was the symbol of suffering and pain. Baptism is this total immersion in something. It's to be consumed by it. And so Jesus is asking them, can you be consumed by suffering, by my suffering? Can you go through that with me? And they say, yes, absolutely. Because their eyes were fixed on the crown while Jesus' eyes were focused on the cross. They wanted the glory, but Jesus saw the suffering. And then he gives them a response that had to be sobering. He said, you will drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. And this is an indication even of their future. James would go on and be the very first martyr of the disciples. The first of the 12 to lose his faith or lose his life because of his faith. John would go on and live into his, his 90s but suffered so much, including being in exile because of his faith in Jesus. And so Jesus says, you will. Then verse 40, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. They were like, how could you ask such a thing of Jesus? Don't you know where he's going and what he's about to do? No, that's not it. <laughs> How could you ask that? We wanted those seats. Why did you get the chance to ask before we did? That's why they were mad. <laughs> because they wanted those positions. I think this is what's going on here. James and John and the other, they are seeking the good life. And to them, the good life is, is found in, in power and authority and wealth and influence. And if you can't have those things for yourself, at least be in close proximity to them. That's the good life. And just like so many people today, they were chasing after these things, hoping to find that good life. But Jesus wants more for them. And not just for them, but Jesus wants more for us too. He doesn't just want them to settle for a good life. And so he teaches them and he teaches us how to find the great life. And his point is this, that if you want to find the great life, give yours away. If you want to find the great life, it starts by giving yours away. And while you ponder in your mind whether or not that's true, let me just share that the great life isn't found in consuming more. It's not found in looking out for yourself, or stepping over others to get what you want. The great life is found in giving your life away for the good of others, no strings attached. And I guarantee you that this morning, if, if we just like gave the invitation, there are people all over this room that would talk about leaving the good life behind to find the great life of pouring in and investing and serving others. And then Jesus paints a picture for them and for us of what the good life looks like compared to the great life that he's inviting us into. Verse 42, he says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Like they, they are constantly reminding them who's in charge. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. 
Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Jesus says power and authority rule in this world, but in my kingdom, serving others reigns. In the kingdom of God, the great life is not achieved by position or rank, but in the posture of humility and grace that we take towards one another. The the great life is not about climbing that corporate ladder, but in how you treat the people that you work with, that you work for, that work for you. In God's kingdom, that that place where Jesus rules and reigns, like Josh shared with us just a, a couple of weeks ago, The great life is found in sacrifice and service and humility and even suffering. The kingdom, the kingdom greatness involves lowliness over exaltation every single time. Verse 44, Jesus says, that whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. That that word for slave is doulos. It is someone whose will is consumed by the will of another. It's the same word that the apostle Paul uses of Jesus in Philippians chapter two, when when he talks about Jesus taking the nature of a servant. It's that same word that Jesus submitted and surrendered to the will of the father. And then he came to serve us. And so Living the Jesus way of life, living the great life means that we don't make demands of others. We don't fight for our own way. The way of Jesus is to be consumed by the will of another. To be completely consumed by the will of God, just like Jesus was, and then consumed by serving others and putting their needs even above your own. And can we just be honest, like that is hard, isn't it? In fact, most of the times I find myself like identifying probably more with James and John than I do with the way of Jesus. And so how do we do this? How do we lead and how do we serve and live like Jesus? I think verse 45 gives us some clues. Jesus in our core verse for the week and one of the most profound things I think that he, that he ever said says this, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's break that down. You wanna serve others like Jesus, for starters, you need to know who you are. Know who you are and be confident in who you are. Not in your own abilities, not in your own wisdom, not in your own wealth, but in your identity as a beloved child of God. Jesus knew who he was. He uses that term son of man in verse 45. It's his favorite term to refer to himself because it's this, it's this veiled messianic term that, that kind of shows who he is and where he is from and what he came to do. And so Jesus had this strong sense of his identity, which then gave him the freedom to be able to serve others. He, he did not need any kind of validation. He, he was not looking for, for any kind of approval from them because his identity was secure as a child of God, as the child of God. And it takes a certain amount of self-confidence to live with this kind of self-forgetfulness. It takes self-confidence to be able to lay your ego aside. If your sense of value and worth is wrapped up in being the best or being the first or getting your way, 
or even how others think about you, then it is going to eat you up inside and there is no way that you are able to serve like Jesus without looking for something else in return from those that you're serving. Whether it's a sense of control, a pat on the back, recognition, respect, when you are serving, looking for those things, you're not actually serving anyone other than yourself. And, and I say that to me just as much as I say that to anyone else. So if you want to serve like Jesus, know who you are. Be confident in that. Second, focus on your driving purpose, your passion. Jesus knew why he was here. He said the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve. He knew his driving focus. He came to be with us, not so that we could serve him, but so that he could serve us. People were Jesus' driving purpose. And when you know your purpose, it's a little bit easier to go the extra mile in pursuing it. I read an article uh, this last week uh, about a young lady who ordered lunch via DoorDash. It's one of those delivery services, and so you can place an order at a you know, restaurant that doesn't typically deliver, and then uh, they'll, they'll bring it to you. And so she placed her order. She got a little notification on her phone that, hey, it's done, and it is on the way. And uh, typically on those apps, uh, you can track the little blue dot so you see where your driver is and how far away your, your food is. And so she was watching that so that she could be ready when it got there. And, and she noticed that the dot stopped for a little bit, and she thought, well, maybe it you know, got hung up in traffic or something was going on. And the longer she watched it, the dot just stayed there and stayed there. It didn't move anywhere. And she's like, okay, I'm starting to get hungry. Where is my, my food? And after a while, there was a little knock on the door. And so she went and there was a police officer holding her delivery and said, here you go. And turns out what had happened was that the uh, delivery driver got pulled over <laughs> on his way uh, to deliver the food. And there was a warrant out for his arrest. <laughs> And so instead of letting the food go undelivered, the officer made the arrest and then finished the delivery. I like to think that the guy was in the back seat while he like, like I just got to go do something real quick. You hang tight. Well, you can't go anywhere anyway. And then ran up and gave the, the food <laughs> to her. And I love this story because for, for a couple of reasons. One, the officer knew who he was. He was focused on his driving purpose. He was confident in himself to not think that finishing this delivery was beneath him. And he knew his purpose was to protect and to serve. And so he was willing to go the extra mile or extra miles to deliver that, that food. I think it's a great example of like we are called not to be served, but to serve. No matter what our position is, no matter our influence, no matter our authority, we're called to serve. And finally, we, we need to focus and consider the cost. Jesus said that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. There was a significant cost to Jesus serving us, but it's one that he was willing to pay. Serving others and, and being second, putting the interest of others even above yourself, it's going to always require a cost, a cost of time, a cost of our ego, the desire to be first, to be right, to be served to have it our way all the time. There is a cost to finding the great life, which is why so many people settle for the good. They bought into the lie that if you ain't first, you're last. And once again, Jesus turns the world's wisdom upside down. And he says, no, if you wanna be first, make yourself last. 
Make yourself a servant and put the needs of others even above your own, even if there's a cost to it. And, and, and listen to me, not in a way that allows you to be taken advantage of. There's this, this fine line in that. And many of you, especially parents of adult children who may be struggling, you, you know how hard it is to walk that line between serving and supporting and enabling. It's tough. But we serve in a way of grace and humility that is willing, if needed, to go above and beyond for the interest of others. And the way of living is at the heart of the kingdom. And this way of living is also at the heart of our vision as a church that I talked about a few weeks ago at Sherwood Oaks. We said we want to be a church that is unleashed with the love of Jesus to make an eternal difference in the lives of at-risk people in our community and around the world. We want to equip and empower and unleash the church, the body of Christ, the people to serve within our walls and in our community and around the world because we believe that if Jesus came to serve, then we are never more like Jesus than when we serve and like that's our goal at Sherwood Oaks is to raise up disciples, to raise up people who look like Jesus. And so we are going to equip and encourage and empower the church to serve, especially those who are at risk spiritually and emotionally and physically, because oftentimes those are the ones that we see Jesus serve the most. As for as long as I've been a part of Sherwood Oaks, I have absolutely loved how they have done this within the furniture giveaway, the international furniture giveaway. It's one of my favorite events of the year because of how it mobilizes the church to serve others in the name of Jesus. The focus of FGA is to share the love of Jesus with international students at IU, one piece of furniture at a time. And so we help students furnish their apartments with beds and desks and couches, basic household goods. Many of these students come with, with only the bags that they're able to check on the plane from countries where they have had limited, if not zero, interaction with followers of Jesus. And FGA shows them how his love works and what it means. And they help him make Bloomington feel a little bit more like home while they're here. And so last year, in 2021, we served over 400 students from 29 different countries. We delivered 1,500 pieces of furniture. It took over 300 volunteers to make this event happen. And I, and I love it. In the FGA brochure, they say there were zero safety incidents and 100% of the people had fun. <laughs> and I served at the event three different days. And I can tell you, that is true. I didn't see anyone get hurt. And I think everyone was really having a, a lot of fun. <laughs> So FGA is August 14th through 20th this year, uh, but we're gonna start picking up furniture on Saturdays later on this month, and that is where you come in. We need people to donate furniture. We need people to volunteer to help pick it up and sort through it and organize it and get it ready for the students when they come. We especially need drivers with trailer hitches who'd be willing to pull a trailer to pick up some of those larger items. And I tell you there, because I've seen it with my own eyes, there is a job for everyone. It's not just lifting. It's not just if you have a truck. Uh, there is a place for everyone to serve within the International Furniture Giveaway. But, but for those of you who hit the iron pit every morning, for our AM animals, looking at you, Clay, for our AM animals, for those who lift at home, I say this every year, this is what you've been training for. This is it. You didn't know it, but this is it. <laughs> and so get your swole friends together and go and move some, some furniture. 
If you want to learn more about it, uh, sign up to do one of the Surf Saturdays, uh, donate a piece of furniture, go to myfga.org, or better yet, stop by the FGA kiosk right out in the lobby, or any of us that have one of these orange shirts on, we'd love to talk to you. So let me close with, with this. When you know who you are, when you're confident in your identity, as dearly loved children of God, when you focus on your driving purpose of serving others the way that Jesus served us, and when you consider the cost of serving others and decide that, yes, that is a price worth paying, not only are you well on your way towards living the great life in the kingdom, but you are well on your way to living like Jesus lived and serving like Jesus served. This is how the Apostle Paul sums it up in the challenge that he gives us in Philippians chapter two. He says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. That, that is the church post Jesus recognizing that Jesus did not come to be served. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus lived and served and died for us in complete surrender and obedience to the will of the Father who loves us, the Father who desires a relationship with us, who desires a relationship with you. If you want to talk to someone this morning about what it means to find and follow Jesus, to give your life to him and start pursuing that great life, man, this morning we'd love nothing more than to talk to you about that. We'll be up here. We'll be out to meet us. We'd love, please, come talk to us. Now we're going to move into a time of communion where we have a chance to celebrate Jesus and remember how he ultimately served us by going to the cross for our sin. What happened to him should have been what happened to us, but in his grace and his mercy, he served us by taking the punishment that we deserved and giving us new life and a fresh start. And we remember that now as we take the emblems, as we take the bread that represents Christ's body that was given for us, and we drink the cup as we remember his blood that was shed. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for serving us with your life, not just in your life, but with your life. So grateful. And Lord, I pray that as we consider your example that you left for us and your invitation to the great life, that we will look for ways that we can take up the nature of a servant and follow in the footsteps of our leader, our Lord, so that others may come to know you, follow you, find grace and mercy in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.